0: Welcome to Rooted and Unwavering, a podcast and radio show which features leaders from all walks of life in conversations about courageous connectedness. How do we stay connected to our best selves, especially when we are challenged? What becomes possible when we truly stay committed to our own and others' greatness, also when we don't feel it? Join host Hilke Faber, transformational coach, facilitator, and award-winning author of Taming Your Crocodiles and his guests as they explore leadership greatness in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering.
1: Welcome everyone back to Rooted and Unwavering, a podcast broadcasting live from Business Radio X in Phoenix, Arizona, where we help leaders connect more deeply to their innate potential I'm your host, Hulka Faber, and I'm here today with two guests from the Ukraine today on this momentous day, which marks the one-year anniversary of the full-scale invasion of Russia, by Russia, of the Ukraine. here today with Yarina Klukovska and Alena Sargeva. Yarina, how are you today?
2: Happy to be uh, alive five, 30, 365 days into the war. Grateful for being alive, grateful to all the people who made it possible, including a lot of brave Americans who have supported Ukraine throughout this time.
1: Thank you, Irina. It's an honor to to be here with you today. How about you, Olena? How are you today? Well, I'm grateful
3: for being here and having an opportunity to focus, you know, the attention of everyone who's going to listen on how war has affected lives, um, you know like our lives here and lives of others and um, reflect together upon what it means.
1: Thank you, Elena. So yeah, that's what this podcast is about and the series is about. Before we go into this topic of today, uh, which is about connecting in times of extreme challenge, um, war in this case, I want to talk a little bit about what rooted and Wavering is for, what the context is in which we have this conversation. So Rooted and Wavering is a a podcast series. We're now in our 16th episode, uh, which is all focused about how do we help ourselves and each other connect more deeply to what's true about us, that quiet place, that peaceful place, that strong place, that place of energy and compassion and deep resourcefulness in the face of whatever the odds are that life brings upon us. And that's what this Series is about, and the intention is that by listening to different leaders like Olena and Yarina today, is that each of us wakes up more deeply to what's possible within us, so that we can respond from greater wherewithal, with greater perspective and humility and peace power, you could say, to whatever is is coming onto our path. So I'm going to introduce our two guests a little bit more. Uh, We already know that both Yarina and Olena are from Ukraine. There's so much more, also than that. Uh, Yurina comes with us from Ukraine, and she actually is in Kiev today. Uh, with 20 years of experience in strategic communication as a consultant in Ukraine, she, she specializes in strategic communication, crisis communication, and communicating change. She is a communications advisor and media trainer. She's helped dozens of senior executives, government officials, and politicians. She's also recently worked as a corporate communications director for Arshal which is the largest foreign investor in Ukraine. And she's worked with many, many prominent leaders, both in Ukraine and also outside. Uh, she's worked with uh, the ministers of economic development, the minister of finance, national health service, and a number of businesses and NGOs in Ukraine, and such a varied background. She also worked, uh, for example, in Microsoft. She liked the, the communications department in one of the largest Ukrainian and international companies. She led that in Vodafone and Metro Cash and, and Carry and many organizations, and uh, she also has uh, studied both in Ukraine and in the U.S. Which we'll notice is also true about Olena. She studied at uh, the University of Kiev, Molhila. I probably don't see that right, and the uh, University of San San Jose, San Jose State University. She's taught public relations and business communications at the leading business schools. She's also founded the Ukrainian Association of Public Relations and shared its board for a time. She was also named of one of Ukraine's best PR directors by Marketing Media Review magazine. And she helped create, in 2014, Ukraine Crisis Media Center. You've done so many things, Karina. Uh, I think one of the things that struck me when I met you last week for the first time or the week before was your tremendous heart and courage and fortitude. I sense so much fortitude showing up every day. And that is something I'm going to explore more when we talk with you. Now, for Elena, almost like your sisters in some way, in terms of your, your backgrounds, both also very accomplished. She's a coach and facilitator and consulting, working on organizational change and leadership development projects, executive coaching and team alignment. She happens to be now a colleague in Growth Leaders Network, Today, Elena uh, lives in Seattle. She left or fled, I'm not quite sure, we'll talk about this more, a month before the Russian full-scale invasion started last year. She has been 15 years in senior management and 12 years in business education consulting. One of the things she did, which I think is so beautiful, she headed Mary Kay, Ukraine and Moldova as general manager, so like the CEO. So we're sitting here with her as a CEO. She was listed amongst Ukraine's top 100 managers. She was also a founder, just like Yarina, of Ukraine's Direct Selling Association, and serves as chairman, uh, chairperson of the board. There's my old condition that says chairman, it was chairperson, and she also uh, led uh, leadership courses at as an MBA lecturer at the business school in Eastern Europe of Eastern Europe in TF School of Economics. He'll get the sound. This breaking the sound. Is it breaking the arena? Now it's, no, it's good. Okay, I think I'm just looking around me in the studio and it looks like it may be a Seattle thing, not a Phoenix thing. Okay. So right. that also happens. And the question is, how do we respond to this, right? You hold a degree from Rutgers University in New Jersey and a master's degree from the National Chefenko University of Kiev and you're a certified coach and a certified HR professional. Okay, that's a lot, but I wanted to say that anyway so that people know a little bit more about you. I know Elena for the last, I think, 11, 12 years now. Uh, the first time I met her, I was struck by her heart, by her tremendous depth of reflection and also fortitude. So in that, that way, you both are sisters in some way. So I've said enough. Let's just dive right into this podcast, this conversation. Yarina, tell me and tell us a little bit about how you've managed to stay connected to yourself in these last 365 days?
2: You dive right in. Uh, That's the $100,000 question. A year ago, I woke up. I was uh, sick with COVID. My brother woke me up at 5 o'clock in the morning to tell me that there are explosions in Kyiv, that uh, Russia attacked. We knew it was going to happen. We just didn't want to believe it. And at this point, it becomes real. A few hours later, I heard explosions where I lived, in the city of Krivorik, in the south of Ukraine, uh, where Russians made uh, a lot of progress in the initial days. I wasn't scared. I didn't see anybody who was scared. People just dealt with it. People went to the bank to get cash. People stocked piled food. People with little children were trying to go westward, where it's safer. That's what I did eventually to be with my family. It was just dealing with things. It wasn't as scary as it looks from the outside. I spent the first few months of the war uh, with my family in the western part of the city. Um, We had some missile strikes. And of course, a lot of people we knew went or volunteered or were conscripted. Um, So they went to fight. Uh, We helped however we, we could to help fund and purchase um, equipment for the army or food or medicine. There was a lot of things to do. You can call it probably disassociation. It wasn't a conscious decision to be brave or to stay active. It was the only way to survive. And I think it speaks a lot to the resilience of the Ukrainian people. I know that Ukraine has been in the headlines uh, in the United States mostly for conflict, revolutions, disquiet in any case. And I think that's what we learned to survive. We, sur- we learned to sort of mobilize our internal energy without thinking, and just you go ahead and do the right thing. What the war does, and I think any crisis does, it shows you who you really are. It shows you your weakest spots and it also shows you the strongest sides of, of your character. And that's what you rely on without much reflection. The time for reflection came later. Um, I think we will have reflected upon this years from now after we've hopefully survived and won. I just wanted to say that the hardest part was the unknown. We feel much better now. We know we're winning. We know it's a question of time. We know it's a question of support from around the world. We know it's a question of how we can endure. Uh, a year ago, on that day, we didn't know what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. We didn't know if our government would stay in place. We didn't know if the president would leave or not. We didn't know uh, where the Russians, how far they would have made it, if they would successfully inv- invade Kyiv, the capital, which was their strategic objective and still is. Now we know so much more. And it's always best to know, if it, even if it's best, uh, even if it's bad news, it's better than not knowing. And also just one word about leadership. Um, our president, Zelensky, he's had a not what you call a standard presidential background. Um, just a few days before the invasion, he had made that speech that called for peace and negotiations and diplomacy. We didn't know that he would turn up the leader that he is now. I think it's a case study for the books one day how a person grows into the challenge that life presents, how a person becomes a true leader uh, when he hears the call. Mm. And that was a big inspiration to all of us as well. I was never a big fan of him um, beforehand, but I'm able to appreciate how he stepped up, how much he's grown over this year. And I'm just hoping that all of us have grown as much as our president um, over these past uh, 12 months.
1: Thank you for sharing, Yorina. And I'm very struck by you saying in a moment of extreme difficulty, we get to know both our weakness and, and our strength. And we get to rely on what's strong in us that we may not even know that's there. Right. So thank you for thank you for sharing that, Yorena. And thank you for sharing honestly, honestly and openly what was what what's what's that like? Because we can't talk about this in the past tense because you're in the midst of it. I was struck by When we had our pre-show conversation that you said that you were grateful that the lights were on and today had been a relatively good day because no missiles had fallen. That is the reality that you live in and you look at us with bright eyes. So I just salute you and all other humans that are able to look at with bright eyes to something as unspeakable as that. Thank you. Thank you. Olena, share with us a bit about the same question. What has it been like for you to stay connected to yourself and maybe sometimes lose your connection and find it again in this, this last year?
3: My journey was quite different this year from Uranus and um, those who are in Ukraine because I was um, um, watching the news about a year ago, you know, January, and um, made the decision to leave. And come to the United States to stay with friends. The decision was to come. I had a return ticket, of course, and come back in a month or something. And then the war started. And when the war started, even though I left worried about something like this, I was still shocked. And it was, I mean, shocked tremendously. And was not. It was not just shock of how this affected my life. At the time I woke up, uh, uh, actually, I was, I think, on the night of the, here it was the night, and in Ukraine it was the morning, at dinner with a friend, and we were like having a good time, basically. And then my daughter called and she said, I just woke up from explosions, and we don't know what's happening. It looks like, you know, Russia attacked. The horrific effect of that, the horrifying effect of that, was kind of on, on multiple levels. One is your own life and people you love and care about, the country, the implications it has for like the people of Ukraine. But then also for me, what came later, of course, it was not something I was consciously thinking about on that first day later. It was kind of loss of meaning. Some of the things I was very convinced in because I taught and teach, still teach courses on leadership. You know, and leadership comes with integrity and um, trust, and and so on. And I have a strong sense of like putting my efforts into something I believe, and then having it grow. Right, or as a collective a group, uh, putting efforts together and having progress. Right, moving forward, and then. One day seeing how a random, or maybe not sorry, a missile attack destroyed a like, huge supermarket that was just built on the highway to Zhitomir, from Kiev to Zhitomir, mega market that was just burned. I've seen that being built for quite some time. I was driving by, buying, then when it, when it was built, I was buying groceries there. It was really you know it was cool huge nice um more than store and it can be destroyed just like that um literally in 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 minutes right not to mention the lives of you know people it really had a deep effect on you know on an overall like understanding of what's the sense of life what's the meaning of, of all we do uh here on on this Planet, if um, you know, you spend years fixing the roads. You spend tax money doing this and that. You, you your heart rejoices that your country is, you know, becoming more beautiful, more organized, and so on. And then a bully, a barbarian, can just do something like that. And um, that uh, sense of like law lo- being lost and and confused was. Well, it still is. I cannot say like, oh, I just resolved it all for myself and now I know what's the meaning, but I still don't, right? But uh, that was really uh, affecting me very, very deeply in terms of like who I am, what I am doing, uh, who we are, what we are doing, and so on. And of course, I had multiple effects of the war on, on my own life. Uh, my family got, Uh, Like many other families, right, I'm not unique that way, got sort of fragmented um, to, let's say, a New Year celebration a year ago. We usually come to my mom's uh, home, and um, it's been like maybe 12 people together, me, my sister, our kids, um, some other relatives, and the next thing we were supposed to do together was Easter, April, right? But April last year, it was just my mom there in in that house. So no one one else could be there. Two of my close relatives, male relatives, they volunteered to serve in the army in February. They both are in the army from February, so almost a year now. Uh, Luckily, both are alive and in one piece, but there are significant implications of that um, for everything.
1: Thank you for sharing, Elena. Like I'm struck by both of your stories. How the mind actually cannot make sense of this totally. There's something that is bigger than what what we actually can understand in terms of making it making meaning of it or whatever it is. It's it's, it's, it's so vast. It's, it's so it's such an like I, I like the word unspeakable. It's such an unspeakable atrocity, unspeakable act of aggression, and yet. This is not the first time that humans do this to each other. It's happened before, and it's happening in other places in the world, and now it's happening with you. And you could say, well, it's not, you could say, and it's also happening in this country. The United States has its own atrocities that are happening every day. So in the face of that, I'm, I'm curious, Yarina, you talked about what you've been learning. You said you said you, you you admire the president for having grown into that he listened to the call. So, what's the call that you've been hearing? Maybe you can say more about that. What's the call you've been hearing through this time, or maybe and maybe it's been changing?
2: It has been. It's been a long time. The first call is to survive for the sake of the people you love. When something like that happens. It's sort of like when you get asked this question on a date sometimes, if your house is on fire, what will you take with you first? And that's what we've been learning uh, since that first day. What are the most important things in our lives? To me, that was my family. I left the city, left the city where I've been working. Uh, I left my team. Um, They were all natives of that city. I was from outside. I didn't have any family. I didn't have any support network. I left where my home is. I left to be with my mother, my grandmother. My son took a different road. I hadn't seen my son in uh, over a year now. He goes to university in the UK um, and he can't come back. Men are not allowed to come back uh, unless they want to stay and go fight. And of course, we want to prioritize his education at this point. He's volunteering as a translator for the Ukrainian army in the UK. Um, And all of us have been finding ways to be useful uh, to the defense effort um, in any way. And you learn to cope by doing, because that's how you regain a measure of control over events that normally you don't have any control over. A lot of people spend time in bomb shelters. We didn't have a chance to do that. My grandmother was not able to walk fast enough to to get to the bomb shelter on time. So you just basically stayed at home and hoped for the best, which is a bad strategy. And I'm not encouraging anybody else to, uh, to follow that. But that's a decision. You make these decisions based on the circumstances and you learn to live with them. We all contributed financially to the army. I have this rule that every time the air uh, raid alert goes off, which used to happen several times a day, I would make a donation um, to a foundation supporting the Ukrainian army or to one of the volunteer efforts. Uh, There's a lot of private citizens started to uh, raise funds and sort of help equip Ukrainian soldiers or to help people in the occupied regions or people whose houses had been destroyed. Uh, The civil society really pulled together and you hear a lot of that when it hear experts talk about Ukraine these days. But what's important to remember, the civil society is such an abstract notion, but this is just people and people do what they can. I'm not brave enough to go and fight. A lot of the people I know, a lot of women I know went to volunteer and fight as medics or actually enrolled in the regular army. I'm not brave enough for that. Uh, My strength is communication. So I started with my family and I started with my team. And then I helped spread the story to people outside Ukraine because we understood that the information war was as real and as impactful as the actual physical war. It was very important to get the story out. And then there was a moment that tested my, uh, my values a lot. I used to work for a company, an international company, at the beginning of the war, um, they stopped all business relations with Russia, as many other companies did, so that not to help fund their war efforts through taxes and things. And I found out from the media that the company I worked for and I was really committed to had renewed their business relationships with Russia and started selling steel to Russia. Steel after after learning of the tanks, who basically. Uh, drove over cars with families and destroyed cities and villages and brought soldiers who killed and raped and plundered. That was not acceptable to me. So in the middle of the war, the economy is, of course, barely uh, holding on. I had to quit my job. Uh, As a communications person, I could not be the face of that decision to the society at war, to the country at war, and I quit. And that was, um, that was a very easy decision. It, it's only later that I started thinking, okay, where am I going to find a job like that? Uh, in a country at war, uh, when the economy is crashing for obvious reasons, all the money goes to, to fund defense. But that was such an easy decision. And it's moments like that that you actually know where your red lines are and what your true values are. I don't remember who said that values are things you have to pay for. It's not a value if you, it doesn't have a cost. Right? It's very easy to say uh, integrity is one of my values. Are you ready to sacrifice for that? Well, I learned that love for my country is something I'm ready to sacrifice for. I'm not ready to go and fight. I don't know how to handle a gun. I would not be of much use on the front line, but I can be of use where I can contribute my knowledge and my expertise. And that's what be, was been holding on uh, what been holding me up, from propping me up all these months? And I'm looking at other people. I'm looking at my family. I'm looking at my brother who works to make sure that Russia pays war reparation. Uh, and he works with governments around the world and with the United Nations to help to make that happen one day. He's a lawyer. He could go to the front line. But it's just something that nobody else can do in this country. Just him, his knowledge, his expertise, his connections enable him to do that. And I'm so proud of him no less than if you were at the front lines. And everybody's helping. You see grandmothers sending what remains of their little government pensions to help fund the war. And that inspires you every day. And before before we can talk about how you get connected to your true self, what we feel is how we get connected to each other. And I'm sure one is not possible without the other. You cannot really be connected to other people if you're not in touch with yourself, if you're not rooted, if you're not standing firmly uh, uh, on the a, on a ground, on your moral ground, on your values, on your principles. And then you can be a fuse and then you can h- help others and others can help you. And these things go just hand in hand with one another. And, you know, people like Ulana, I, I know a lot of people, part of my family left. They face their own challenges to be away from home, to have lost their family connection. It's a whole different way of surviving the war. that's not easier than whatever we're going through here. Each of us has made a difficult choice. that was no not easy choice. And I'm just hoping that they can feel part of this big community and sort of feel this heartbeat that helps us survive. It's been longer than anybody thought. A year ago, all we heard about was you would be, uh, you would be destroyed in three days. Russia will take over Ukraine in three days. The company I worked for was actually working on that scenario. What will we do? How will we work with the occupiers? That didn't happen. That didn't happen because people have been sort of holding uh, to each other and holding to yourselves. And going through this ring of fire, the only way you can survive if you know who you are. And that just sounds a bit, you know, hooty-tooty. But that's the actual learning from from this past year. You will survive if you know who you are.
1: You will survive if you know who you are. Standing together in that integrity—that's not free.
2: Cost nothing, of- is free yeah. nothing is free, and nothing that- is free. The question is: um, Do you have enough to spend on on staying true to your values? Yes. How much are you willing to lose to stay true to your values? That's the real question. I'm so proud to say that. As a country, as a nation, we are. We lost so many of our own. We're still losing people every day. On the front line, in the cities where the missiles fall, children are being stolen from the occupied cities, being sent to Russia for forceful sort of free education along the Russian ideology lines. All of that is still happening every day. So on the individual level, tragedies happen all the time. As a country, as a nation, we are surviving because we finally learned who we are.
1: Thank you for saying that. Olena, before we take a break, maybe you can reflect a little bit about this theme that Yarina is talking about, standing in our integrity and values. And maybe you even want to talk a little bit about you saying, you know, losing a sense of meaning and how that's related to maybe finding meaning again i don't know i don't know i don't know how you how you what your experience is but that's what struck me as i was listening to both of you
3: uh i just want to say you know how privileged i feel and grateful for just listening to Yorina and inspirational um you know pieces from 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 her life and life of other people i think something that's and i I talked to many people also in Ukraine and outside of Ukraine those who left and those who stayed and something I guess I want to comment on is these individual choices that everyone has to make like I said you know like my nephew and his dad uh, joined the army right someone else did me leaving Ukraine before the war and talking to my daughter, for example, you know, let's go with me and we'll just spend some time here and we'll come back. And she making a different decision than her coming all the way here when Russia was trying to encircle incir- the capital. Uh, so she fled Kiev when the war started and came all the way to Seattle, spent months here and then decided she she doesn't feel happy or comfortable here, went to Europe, spent two months there. then when Back to Kiev and said that's where I want to be and that's where she is. Um, my sister uh, and her, um, and my sister and her daughter, they they undertook a journey all the way to Israel, standing on foot, kind of crossing the border to Romania in in severe cold and and then living in Israel with friends for like a month then and going to Germany, then from Germany going and all of these movements around. It's not like you live in a five-star hotel, right? So it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of interesting moments there. Uh, Again, my, and then my sister ended up coming all the way back to Ukraine and saying, no, I want to be home. I want to be there. Me making a different choice and many other people too. And, and these choices, every, every single choice of that is, uh, kind of brings to surface this question, um, why, um, what, what, you know, what's important and how to how to act, right, in in, in that view. And that also creates um, like the necessity to look at these internal dilemmas and, and conflicts, right, conflicting ideas. And that's not easy. Some of them, I would say, just like crisis. Irina said something about crisis bringing to the surface the best and, and the worst, maybe, in us. I think this whole um, big life determining choices, they also sort of uh, force you to look at some unresolved issues in your life that may, be, you know, going on from, from and, and some intentions that you might have had long ago too, right? Uh, so to me, this year became an interesting work in terms of kind of, losing the identity not not entirely but kind of like break that got fragmented and then re putting those pieces back together in the, which which is still going on in terms of like who am i what i want to do with my life next and where do i see my uh, me fitting into the the world around me uh, and that's that's a significant uh, and, and it's developmental, but it's also painful, like like all kind of development type of work. You you have to lose things in the process and and embrace things, and that's that's not an an easy
1: process. Thank you, Elena. Thank you. We're gonna take a break in a moment. Um, I'm just struck by the true humanity of of both Olena and Yarina that you're sharing today and the the rawness that you're bringing to bear and how honest you are about what your own process is and really owning that process in it. That's one of the things I'm taking away from that is that in the face of crisis, we're really invited to own our own process, our own inner process, our own inner choices, uh, how we respond to this. And there's no prescription. I always want a prescription. There's no prescription. It sounds like this is something that has to come from a different place. So let's take a break in a moment. When we come back, uh, I also want to go a little deeper into one of the comments you made, Elaine, about it. crisis brings to the surface some of the things that are unresolved in us. And it can be an opportunity to shed some light on that. After the break, we're talking with Uh, Yarina Kruskovska and Olena Sergeyeva, both from Kiev, uh, Ukraine, uh, talking about how do we stay connected to the choices that we need to make in the face of, of war. Thank you. You are listening to Rooted and Unwavering, presented by Growth Leaders
2: Network, the leadership, team, and culture development company. If you would like to learn more about working on connectedness for yourself, your team, or
1: organization, please contact Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Rooted and Wavering. We've been having a conversation with Olena Sergeyeva and Yarina Strudkowska about what is it like to be living through a year of, and maybe even years of war? And how do we work with that? And what are the choices that we come face to face with? One of the things you mentioned, Elena, before the break was that this year has brought up for you uh, needing to look at some of those things that weren't resolved. Can you say a bit more about that?
3: I think for me, this 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 is the question of like, uh, where is my own path? You know, where that path leads me? Um, and what's what are the things i want to do experience in my own life and then there are these bigger le- bigger broader levels right there is family and your connections there there is country there are other bigger groups right which which also you know, in terms of crisis or in terms of war, war is like so much bigger than crisis. There are many crises within that, I think, that's happening. Uh, it, on In some ways, people come closer, right? Uniting around uh, defending the right cause against uh, pure aggression, right? Uh, and you have to stand up to that. And I have tremendous respect for everyone who, who is actually... Fighting and standing up for it in a very direct way, right? With, with like, my, like my nephew, for example, I took a lot of leadership lessons from him. Just listening to his audios from Bakhmut, where he spent two and a half months. That I have, but also uh, uniting around that right cause is one thing. And but with these all the different choices people are making. There is a whole reorganization of these groups and connections in society and so on. And uh, uh, finding your own place in terms of what's important for your life sometimes comes into conflict with some of your previous connections or relationships. very. So my whole, I'd say, network of friendship, relationship support got sort of to move like I lost two relationships altogether last year because we we sort of went in in a bit different direction, and those were close relationships and so on. Then naturally, just because my family there, I'm here, we have a, a different manner of communication and so on. And again, my nephew, who could be a student at the university, just like some other people his age, is actually killing people and seeing people being killed in front of him, right? And dealing with the dead bodies rather than with matters of how to apply um, some, some, so, which is very different from some others. So I found centering for myself happening through the body. So I do a lot of things related to exercising, walking, uh, meditation, um um, because that helps me stay within my boundaries and kind of center, you know, in 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 my life. Because I found it very difficult not to be totally sucked in into bigger uh, level things, emotions, um, and so on, and just kind of become a something that just goes with the wind. Let's say there, wherever the wind is going. So um, that's been a, a complicated process for me this year to just go back to my life and remember that I also have a, a, a life and 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 needs and desires and so
1: on thank you for sharing that sense of center uh which is so needed and I can imagine you know part of my might be thinking no I need to completely give myself and not take care and what I'm hearing from you Elena and actually what you're both demonstrating today is being centered in the face of it, making your own choices in a way that's an integrity with you. And that's not an easy uh, way. Yarina, say a bit more about the moments where you may may have fallen out of your center and how you found yourself back.
2: Many, many times. What we are doing is we're running cross-country and you're falling a lot because the ground is incredibly uneven and dangerous and unpredictable. And one thing you learn quickly, in peaceful time, I'm sort of a perfectionist. I rarely give myself permission to fail. And when I do, I spend a lot of time going over my mistakes and the circumstances to learn from it, to not fail again. It's been my firm belief that, you know, failing once can happen to anybody. Failing twice and the same thing, it's my fault already. Well, the war has robbed me of that process. Because you get up and you run and you don't have time to think a lot. The only good thing is that people live through this war in a very de- different way. They experience their ability to cope. They do it at a different pace, even within our family, There have been days where I've been down. My family would help me up. There were days when somebody else would be down and I would help them up. And that was measured in days and that was measured in weeks. And there were days when I was charged and effective and I could do things like three jobs at a time. Uh, And then there were weeks when I couldn't get out of bed. And you know what? I had to learn to, to let it go and let myself permit myself give myself permission to fail and then get up and not waste energy going over how and why. I'll do that later, but just focus my energy on getting up and running. Let me just give you an example. We've had um, Russians attack our energy infrastructure since October through January. They would hit our power grid, our power plants, which means the darkest months of the year we basically spent in darkness. There was no lights, no heat, no running water sometimes. And that was hard. You spend your life in literal darkness. Uh, you have, you know, you have a, like a small power bank or something, and that lasts you a few hours. And then you're in the cold and in the dark, literally. And that was the hardest thing for me. It really plunged. I was working a lot. I was in the middle of a project that kept me busy all the time. And there was a day when I couldn't do it anymore. And you know what? I called my boss or the person who hired me and I said, I'm declaring a force majeure. I need a break. I just can't do it anymore. I will keep making mistakes. I am not productive. I need to, I need to take a break. And you know what? That's fine. Because different people take these breaks at a different at different times and we support each other. But if you punish yourself, and sort of to focus and you sort of start going into yourself, that's the worst, the worst thing you could do under the circumstances. And I'm telling myself that there will be time for me to work through this later. But now I just need to focus on the task at hand, do whatever I can at this moment. If I can't, that, that's fine. You know, if I needed to survive, I will do it. Everything else, I mean, I can do without. And that's a big thing for someone like me, who's who's grown. You could call my, you know, career more or less successful, and that doesn't come from letting yourself fail all the time. So that's a huge difference for me. Um, I don't spend a lot of time sort of reflecting and thinking. I spend time resting. It's such an important thing, and I see and I see people around me. Who sort of try to push through and there comes a dive where you have to stop or you fall. And it's okay. It's better to stop than to fall down.
1: I love this wisdom of things happen, get myself up, and I am doing and I'm I'm doing what do what I need to do. And then when I need to rest, I rest. But I'm not gonna analyze, soak in or any of that, because I really need to rest. My sense is there's a some freedom in that, Yarvina, in what you're saying, that you're allowing yourself after maybe some years of being perfectionist <laughs> like that takes a lot of energy. Allowing yourself like, oh well, this is where I am today. Allowing yourself yeah. to rest. And I'm I'm relating that back to people all over the world in our current society. Productivity is such a high quote unquote value, and rest is so underappreciated. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel guilty about actually taking a nap or resting. Oh, all
2: the time. Especially when I know that a lot of people cannot, that they don't have that luxury. When you're on the front line, you don't have that luxury. When you're on a, you know, you have to be on guard for shift. You have to do it no matter how tired you are. I'm so lucky. Mm-hmm. I'm actually one of the luckiest people in, in this country right now because I have the luxury of sitting here and talking to you about these things, uh, all the while knowing that so many people can't. So many people lost their homes. So many people lost their limbs. So many people lost their love. Loved ones, so many people lost their lives. But you know what? Guilt is not a productive emotion, I learned. Mm. Guilt makes you angry at other people, and that's not what you want. You don't want to be angry at the people uh, in your in-group. Because what the war does, it shows you, this is my tribe and these are the others. You're as strong as the weakest person in your in-group, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't want to be the weakest person in your in-group. You want to help. And if that takes sort of a break, while others can, and you can afford it, it's your job to take that break. Because you know that so many people cannot do that and they will need your support later.
1: That's great. So, so, I, so the sense of taking a break to recharge, I relate it back to what you're thinking about, Elena, as well. This taking care of yourself, you're doing it maybe also through resting and I see physical exercise. What do you want to say to people who may not be in the crisis directly that you're in? right? People like me who are listening. And I tell you, my experience of listening to you is I want to help. Part of me says, oh, wow, well, I'm lucky that I don't need to be there. At the same time, I also feel sad that I'm not there. And at the same time, I'm thinking, so what can we learn from this? What do you want to say to people who are not in this situation? What do you want them to hear?
3: Well, one thing I want to comment on something that Irina said, and this is the big, big, big learning for me this year is empathy for myself um, because the sense of guilt when you're in a more comfortable or safe or healthier situation than than someone you care about or someone you barely know, it's, it's really a, a, a real thing, I would say. And... Um, I think the empathy uh, for yourself starts first and then you learn to be more empathetic towards others also and find the right way of, of supporting them, the right way of contributing. Like I found with my nephew, for example, that just being able to talk about things he goes through came as a as a big, big kind of breakthrough. Like he was not talking to people in a peaceful life, you know, because he, he felt like those people don't understand. So he started losing connections with, with them. It didn't make any sense for him to share. So we uh, had quite a few conversations uh, where he was able to share. And I realized that's the support that was needed, not something else at the time. But that that fine tuning that the, the support comes from you being able to actually be in contact with yourself and empathetic to yourself. So that's that's one learning. For those who are not in a in a situation of war, I I think empathy. That's you know empathy and and and. Yeah, and some direct help like like uh, donations and and you know being aware or spreading the word or supporting the rally or you know just reading about this um, and talking about this does the attention that that's also um, very meaningful uh, besides you know direct forms of, of of help which are available.
1: What would you want to say to that question, Yarina? to people that are not where you're at?
2: A war is an extreme example, but we go through crises all the time. Uh, Just recently, COVID, that was a huge crisis for everybody. Um, I think people go through crises all the time. Unfortunately, there's more and more of them uh, for some reason. So empathy is a big one. I just don't know how to learn to be empathetic. I find three things are very important. One is forgiveness toward other people, learning not to judge. It's so easy to judge. Tempers are quick. We're all going through trauma. We're all focusing on differences. You know, some people left, some people stay, some people help other people sort of go to restaurants and have good food and, you know, enjoy life. Other people sort of stay at home and mourn. Everybody has a different way of coping and it's important to accept those differences and forgive people for not being like you. It's okay for people not to be like you or not to to do and not to process things in the same way as you. So pause your judgment and forgive people for being different. That's one thing that's extremely important. Also for the cohesion of whatever, a nation, a company, organization, doesn't matter. Um, that's important to recognize differences, accept them, and forgive people for what you believe are mistakes. The second is gratitude. Gratitude just keeps me going. Gratitude to the people, towards the people around me. Gratitude toward the uh, the soldiers for defending me. Gratitude towards the people who support us, who provide financial support, who donate money, uh, who lobby, who provide tanks hopefully military planes soon. They're looking forward to that to sort of help us protect our skies. Gratitude is a big thing. It also sort of refocuses you a lot. Um, And the third thing is the best way to cope with anxiety is to do something, something. Like when you don't control, like what I learned. Every time I worry that a missile is going to hit my city, I take my phone and I sort of push a couple of buttons and I send money towards the army that feel that makes me feel like I did something. It's not a lot. Um, you know, it's not a lot, but it's something, whatever, H- however little, there's no, there's no little thing in, in the crisis. Um, if you can do a lot, do a little, get out, you know, drink a glass of water. You're survived. You helped. If you left the country and you feel guilty you left the country, you made it easier for people to defend your city because you're not underway. You helped. If you stay and you continue consumption, you know, you go to stores and restaurants and spend money to fuel the economy, you're helping. You know, if you stay at home, whatever you're doing, you're helping. Just, you know, do it. Just do it. Every little piece of action, it helps. And that's how you think about things. You don't, enjoy stuff we fuel the economy or we support the army or we support the arts or you know everybody everything has a different meaning and one of the first books I reread I had a lot of I still have a lot of trouble reading it's hard to focus in a situation like this but Viktor Frankl and his story of surviving in a concentration camp a man in search of meaning that was an an incredibly helpful book to me in the beginning it taught me it reminded me not to explain expect a quick victory and not to despair, but just go day by day, survive a day that's fine. survive the next day that's fine. so before a crisis hits, uh, I would suggest people to read that book. It's not a big book, it's a short book. it was written, I think in English. It's a great book. it helped me a lot, so I would say forgiveness and gratitude and Action, however little, there is no too little in action.
1: I'm just becoming quiet because that was so beautiful what you both said. Empathy, forgiveness, gratitude, and action as some things that you've learned in this unspeakable year that you're speaking about, which to me is one action that you're taking already, that you're taking today, which I'm grateful for. And also what you said, Yarina, about we can't afford not forgiving. Like what you said, Elena, we can't really afford guilt, not in crisis, but also not when we're not in crisis because that takes so much energy. We don't have that. We're getting to the final minutes of our time together. And I realized I could talk to you for hours. So I'm going to ask you each for one minute to say whatever you want to say to close our conversation today. So whatever you want to say for one minute, each of you, whatever you want to say, and it doesn't have to be in any particular Phrase, form, or context, whatever you want to say now would be very welcome. And whoever wants to go first goes first.
2: Something that I've learned that we haven't touched on we live in a world that's, you know, 50 shades of gray all the time, or 150 shades of gray. We learn in business and whatever in life, that there are no right or wrong, that these are all the relative notions. Well, the war shows you that there are not. There are things that are right, and there are things that are wrong, and you know what they are. We all know what they are. And it's best to learn that lesson and remember that before it comes to a war. It helps to learn that there are things that are absolute evil, and there is no, no excuse for them. Like attacking another country, like killing indiscriminately, uh, like taking what doesn't belong to you, that's wrong, and whatever happens. But there are also things that are good. And most of other people outside our own circle, contrary to what we believe, they're good. And I think if we all learn that lesson, there will be less conflict. There will be less armed conflict, less polarization. We will learn to sort of deep inside. All of us know right from wrong, really. It's not about politics, right? It's not about business. It's not about justifying whatever means to whatever end you're trying to work through. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. And we should not let go of that notion. Not everything is gray. There are things that are clearly white and clearly black. And if you help, if you increase the amount of light in the world, and if you decrease the amount of darkness in the world, That's what life is
3: about. That's what I learned. And it's uh, surprising to me, but I was thinking about very similar things also, Mm -hmm. Yurena. So my message, I guess, would be there is evil and there is darkness in this world and there are bad things in this world. The choice you make is what do you, in your heart, in your soul, sort of connect to, right? Lean to. And it's your choice. And uh, there may be dark days and bad things happening in everyone's life. Life is not a you know happy journey. There will be things happening, but then you do have a choice. Where are you going? Are you going into the hope and and, and joy and optimism while recognizing all these things that they do exist? Or do you connect to that and let yourself be drawn into that more and more and more? Because then you are one of the dark nights, so to speak. So be aware and and you know and make that choice intentionally, consciously every single moment of your day.
1: Thank you both, Elena and Irina. What a conversation and what a wisdom you shared today. I'm struck by. The honesty with which you're able to name that which is evil, black, and the heart with which you're able to talk about your choicefulness in the face of that, and how you work with it—that's a lesson for all, for for me. And uh, I've been speaking today with with both of you. We're getting to the close of this this conversation. Um, if you're listening, I hope you heard something that helps you with your choicefulness. It definitely did for me. And I want to thank both Yarina and Olena, both speaking us as people from the Ukraine, both very accomplished leaders in their own right, uh, who are sharing with us their story about being honest, choiceful, and resilient. So thank you for listening to this podcast. In two weeks, we'll be here with Karen Nowicki, who is the founder of Phoenix Business Radio X and also a trauma coach. We'll be uh, diving in with her about actually how we deal with some of the difficulties that Yorina and Elena were talking about. And that will be in two weeks. Um, you can also uh, subscribe in the meantime to this podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, other, other places. You can also join us on Growth Leaders Network on LinkedIn for community conversations that we have. And uh, for now, I just say thank you for listening. You've been listening to Root and Wavering, where we help people connect more deeply to their innate potential. I'm your host, Olga Faber, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us in today's episode of Rooted and Unwavering, leadership conversations about courageous connectedness presented by the leadership development company, Growth Leaders Network. To learn more, subscribe to this podcast, connect with Growth Leaders Network, and Hilka Faber on LinkedIn, or read Hilka's award-winning book, Taming Your Crocodiles. Now take a moment and appreciate something that is great about you. Celebrate the gift that you are and enjoy connecting more deeply to your best self today. See you next time on Rooted and Unwavering.